Okay, first things first, equal time. Red Hawks. Yay! Montclair East versus Wesley. Back. Yep, Wesley going up to Montclair. We're going to have a lot more in that game coming up in this show. We want to talk about something. You, you know our cold opens. We always say we either start funny or we start maybe a little edgy. Today it's edgy. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you folks have seen what happened at the end of the... Uh, what was it, the third uh, seed game, or three seed game on mm -hmm. Sunday between yep. uh, Austin and Center. Uh, Center had a 24-point lead late in the game, and first, uh, we would show it to you, but there was no clip of uh, the offensive lineman from Austin that laid a hit on the defensive lineman or defensive player uh, late, apparently, that led to a penalty against Austin very late in the game. So Austin punts, kick goes, and we all assume with 20-ish seconds left, kneel down, this game's over, maybe a rush play if there's timeouts left. That's it. We're done. Mm -hmm. Get off the field, everyone. No. Uh, you're, you're watching what basically happened in this situation. Uh, the most bizarre aspect of it has to be what happened after the entire melee. And, you know, kudos to the referee. I had a fight with somebody on Twitter about this. The referee basically was the only person between those two players that could have stopped this. And he basically bodied the center player that was uh, trying to lay in punches and <clears throat> probably avoided an all-out melee there. I mean, there it was, yeah. it was bad enough. But uh, Coach Fry coming across the field upset not at Austin it doesn't look like but upset with his team for shaking off his rush call on the uh, play call and uh, basically being shooed back by the referees because I mean the game's not over yet technically they got to figure out what right. to do um, you know JB we, we say it's a privilege to play football right now uh, more than ever mm -hmm. because of yeah, COVID. absolutely and while these crossover games may have had a certain air of you know, odd ending because they weren't all championship games per se. They were placement games, and that's not normal in football, really. That's something unique yeah. to this year. Um, it still was an honor to go play in a stadium like that, uh, you know, on the stage that they presented. And to do something like shake off a longtime beloved head coach's play call in a way that would embarrass the program, you got to know better. You've got to know better. Mm. Coach Fry is somebody that Coach White a couple weeks ago on our show said some really yep. nice things about in terms of his relationship with him over the years. And sure, they want to beat each other when they're on the field, uh, you know, opposing oh, yeah. the sidelines. Mm -hmm. But come on. Seriously, what were you thinking in this case? You saw the video. What was your take on it? Yeah, I just think um, cooler heads did not prevail. And uh, fortunately, you know, Coach Fry was able to, you know, insert himself. And, and like you said, the official did a great job handling what was a, a tenuous situation, which could have gotten worse. Uh, but fortunately, hey, you know, uh, there wasn't an all-out brawl when it was said and done. And it's a learning opportunity for the young men on both sidelines. I'm sure their coaches will be talking, uh, talking to them about as uh, I'm sure there'll be some more practices or what have you, either if not in the rest of the spring, certainly by the time preseason rolls around uh, come fall. I think uh, if any players that were involved in the change of the call are back next season, I think one may have been a junior that was involved at the very least. Uh, one game suspension is probably the best message to send to the SAA and to the team that it won't be tolerated, embarrassing the program. Uh, ultimately, we haven't heard of any uh, 
you know, ramifications yet from it. But uh, that would be a really fun bus ride home, as our friend Dave McHugh over at D3 Sports pointed out on Twitter. Uh, I would not want to be on that bus under those circumstances. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, great week of football, folks. You know, follow what we do in the next hour as the things to do, not what we just started the first five minutes of show <laughs> of, you know, what not to do. And uh, we'll talk more about all that on Season 5. Season 5? No, Frank. It's week (laughs) 6 of Season 13. Oh, we're keeping that. I'll be in the huddle. Oh, man. Season five. Who am I? What you know, am I doing here? That's not as bad as me from last week saying, you know, something about 2012 with respect to to uh, Mountain Union. What I was trying to say was, you know, this in 2021 they were going to have a new quarterback who, who will uh, get to talk about in a little bit because obviously D'Angelo Fulford has graduated. I said 2012. You said season five. Hey, you know, numbers. Just throw them out there. See what sticks. And I almost flowed with it like it actually was right for a half a second there. You know what? I'm going to let you just tell everybody who the guests are as I try to recover from uh, that wonderful moment of uh, In the Huddle infamy. Yeah, well, we we have a a few guests this week, Frank. Um, First, I guess, we'll talk with the senior wide receiver from Montclair State, Carson Johnson, who rewrote some of the the, uh, Red Hawks uh, record books with an amazing Five-catch, 212-yard performance in a 41-12 win over Kane. Uh, First East Region action that we're getting to see in this spring season. And then later on, we're going to jump out back to Ohio to talk to our friends at Bluffton University. Uh, Along with Coach uh, Krebs, we have for the – we haven't had a freshman on the – on the program in a long time, Frank, and I didn't even realize he was a freshman when I booked the interview with with cornerback Montez Archer Jr. He has had six interceptions in the last two games, helping the Beavers continue on their current win streak. They have a huge game against Hanover, um, one of the defending conference champions in in, in that uh, neck of the woods. So we'll have some some new folks on, and it, it'll be a lot of fun. I think what happened to you is you saw Montez Archer Jr. and assumed he was a junior, didn't look to the next line to see freshman, basically. <laughs> and we joke about that yeah. with him a little bit when we uh, talk with uh, Montez Archer Jr. I think he almost had a fourth interception in that game, but I got, it got called back, or it would have been the third, and eventually was the third. It got called back on a uh, defensive offsides call uh, in that game. I was uh, looking through the play-by-play on that. So he, he was resolute. return touchdown drive. too. I mean, he yep. was, he was all over the field in that game. And, and I also almost forgot, Frank, we, we did get a, a very special sort of bonus guest with Montclair, um, certain quarterback named Jaquil Birch will also be kind of jumping in at the tail end of our conversation with Carson. We'll have Jaquil back on again in the fall. Um, an outstanding young man. Uh, he had a big, big day. Uh, I don't know if you saw that picture that Coach P uh, posted on Twitter, but 
man, uh, the offensive line made Jaquil's job pretty, pretty easy. There was that one shot where, you know, there's literally no defensive lineman within like 15 feet of Jaquil. He just sits there in the pocket as all day to look downfield. So that was probably on one of those long bombs to Carson, who we'll talk to in a few minutes. I think he ordered Grubhub while he was uh, back there and uh, probably <laughs> took a little nap and everything else. Uh, hey, speaking of that game, we're going to crunch time in a moment. I want to say one more thing uh, as Edgy is starting this show. Kane, I shouldn't have to go to Montclair State to get the two clips we needed for this uh, show, okay? I should have been able to go to the broadcast that you had, which was a decent broadcast, okay? I, obviously, you went on the wrong side of the uh, scoreboard for that, but... Again, folks, schools, keep your archives up. Win or lose, parents want to see their kids and want to see these games. And we want to be able to present some clips uh, for both teams to the degree we can. Maybe not in this case uh, because we're just going to do a couple clips on the, uh, that game. You'll see what I mean in crunch time. But th those angles you're shooting are not quality angles enough for scouting purposes. So... Let, let's just let's stop the foolishness across the country with the hiding your archives. Generally, the spring we've we've had more success finding the archives, staying up on YouTube and uh, Sidearm and Stretch and all those things, uh, uh, Boxcast. So we do appreciate that. But again, yeah. if you're a school and you're hiding your archives, please stop, Come or at on, least man. give us the password or do something. Send us the ability to go grab it at the very least. Okay, soapbox done. Let's go. Week six. Crunch time. We're probably going to be recording this about 18 different times if I had to guess based off my flub at the beginning of the show here. This might be actually take two, but who knows? You won't at home. Uh, Guilford at Emory and Henry, and Emory and Henry had a nice big win in this one. Uh, let's start, though, with the Guilford highlight. Kamari Norman with a 24-yard pass from Teddy Gassert. That made it 10-6 Emory and Henry, so Guilford was trying to come back, but here's a microcosm of their night as Ivan Phillips returns a 98-yard extra point return. It's 12-6 instead, Emory and Henry, after the PAT attempt. Later in the second quarter, it's Gunnar Griffith. There's a name from Hunter Taylor. 23-yard <laughs> touchdown pass. Uh, that will would end the scoring in the first half, 33-6 Emory and Henry, and they came back right at the start of the third quarter and did it again with Elijah Rice this time, receiving a 70-yard touchdown pass. It's 40-6 at that point, final score, 47-6. Grayson Overstreet, 19 rushes, 109 yards, two one-yard touchdowns in a game that we didn't show, but he's just been a workhorse for them in their 3-0 start. Emory and Henry's defense had seven sacks, 11 tackles for loss, three interceptions, and Elijah Rice, who we just showed there, six catches, 199 in a touchdown. Let's talk about one other ODAC game, Bridgewater 26, Ferrum 16, and uh, the game really opened up with an incredible Vianti Tucker 82-yard kickoff return uh, to the Ferrum 7, and Bridgewater capitalized uh, throughout the night on moments like that. We'll talk about, though, uh, the linebacker Brett Tharp, blocking a punt as well. Uh, Jalen Wood would return it for a score. Uh, Demetrius Jalepis, uh, 15 rushes, 42 yards, but two touchdowns for Bridgewater. Uh, Ferrum's quarterback, Titus Jones, 23 for 43, 279 touchdown, plus some uh, rushing yards and another uh, touchdown on the ground. But Bridgewater, 26, Ferrum, 16. Uh, side note, Washington Lee and Southern Virginia had canceled their game uh, that was scheduled for Friday night. But then we have 
OAC action. Uh, suddenly the OAC joined us in the uh, whole fray here of Friday night, Friday night action, and we had a classic game with a team that we really don't often talk about winning, and it's Capital yeah. at Wilmington. Wilmington pulls it out 26-21. A lot of highlights here. First, Wilmington gets on the board to start all scoring in the second quarter. It's Kyle England on a three-yard touchdown run. About three minutes later, uh, Lee takes a 27-yard pass from Everson here on uh, this uh, touchdown. It's 7-7, Ben Everson's uh, touchdown pass for, uh, to Cameron Lee. 7-7 was the halftime score. Midway through the third quarter, we went up to 14-7 capital. So let's fast forward to the fourth quarter. Wilmington's Itika Wynn Jr. gets a six-yard touchdown pass from Kyle Barrett. And it, it's now a 14-14 game, tie game with 12 minutes left in regulation. And again, Cameron Lee gets a Ben Everson touchdown pass, 49 yards this time with 10.34 left to make it 21-14 capital. But it's not over yet, folks, as Kyle Barrett with a three-yard touchdown run makes it 21-21. Oh, wait a minute. No, that extra point is no good. It's 21-20 capital. So now capital gets the ball back. They punt the ball away to the one-yard line with 5.18 left. 16 plays later, this is the result. Itika Wynn Jr. from Kyle Barrett from six yards out. In four minutes and 39 seconds, they move those 16 plays, 99 yards to make it 26-21. That's your final in favor of Wilmington. You can see the stats uh, there on your screen, but you know, again, uh, kudos to Cameron Lee and Ben Everson from Capital uh, for those two touchdowns, but it, uh, win with those two touchdowns from Barrett. Uh, we, it was kind of a duel of duels uh, that was going on in that game. Also in the OAC, we saw, as I flip my sheet, Mount Union 51, Muskingum 15. I've got too much paper in my desk for this thing. It was uh, yeah, Josh right. Petroselli with 11 rushes, 110 yards. Uh, the UMU defense holding Muskingum to 64 rush yards. But let's talk about Braxton Plunk. The debut, 20 for 26 passing, 314 yards, and six touchdowns. Favorite targets, Wayne Ruby, uh, Wayne Ruby Jr., I should say, two touchdowns, and Jaden Manley with three touchdowns. Unbelievable wow. job there. Uh, before I let you have it, I'll also say John Carroll, 28, Baldwin Wallace, 17, as uh, John Carroll uh, had his, their quarterback, Jake Floria, uh, passing 17 for 21. I just want to make sure that was right there. It is uh, for 134 yards mm -hmm. and a touchdown on the day. And most of the work uh, went to John, uh, John Carroll's Matthew Busser. 15 rushes, 72 yards and a touchdown. And Demarius Goodwin with 19 rushes, 67 yards and a touchdown. 34 rushes between them in that game. Ohio Northern 17, Otterbein 7. And in this game, it was quarterback Brady Hahn, Brady Hahn for 15 for 28, 189, and two touchdowns, but he also had eight rushes for 57 yards on the ground. I love these dual-threat quarterbacks that we're seeing a lot of throughout these uh, conferences. And defense Absolutely. forced three turnovers, two interceptions, and a forced fumble uh, for Ohio Northern. Go ahead, my friend. Uh, OAC action, good to see them back. And I'll tell you, that Braxton Plunk seemed like the real deal there for Mount Union. Yeah, and so this upcoming weekend, and we'll get into this a little later, we're going to have the annual <laughs> Mount Union versus John Carroll rivalry game, which is every year one of the biggest games in Division Three. It looks like to me, Frank, it's going to be a battle of the Air Raid Raiders 
versus the ground attack blue streaks. So should be a great matchup in Ohio coming up this Saturday. Yep. Too much paper. Like I said, I'm like shifting paper while you're talking the entire time there. I almost got back in time. Yeah, seriously. Uh, you know what? Again, you know what? It's a privilege and a blessing to have this much football going on right now. So I'm not complaining. Absolutely. I just want to make sure we get it all right at the end of the day, folks. And let's jump in to the USA South. Uh, we did have a cancellation occur. We'll talk about that in a second, the implications of what happened uh, because of it. But first, let's go to the Saturday game first, which is kind of backward. Uh, Brevard 27, Huntington 3. Brevard first on uh, the board, 6-0, to zero, after Aaron Bennett catches a 26-yard touchdown pass from Eli Carr. Next drive, a 32-yard field goal made it 6-3 in favor of Brevard. But one minute into the second quarter, Jonathan Woods was hit by Eli Carr with a 38-yard touchdown pass. Kick failed here, so it was 12-3. Those extra points just are going all over the place uh, for these teams, it seems Boink. like. Later in the second quarter, it's Jonathan Woods again from Carr. 20-3 when they get the two-point conversion to Dalton Cole. Uh, so, again, 20-3 was the score at halftime in the fourth quarter. Let's just fast forward to see Gabriel Rabola from Eli Carr. 20-yard touchdown pass. This is the only scoring in the second half. 27-3 in favor of Brevard. Safety Dante Anderson. Let's talk about the defense since they basically pitched a, an end zone shutout in this game. 13 tackles, one interception. Carr, 12 for 20 passing, 194, four touchdowns. And quarterback Jock Pledger, another name, two interceptions <laughs> in the game. Averett uh, and Methodist faced off on Friday with Methodist winning 35 23. Taekwon Edie with 13 rushes, 86 yards, three touchdowns for Methodist. Brandon Bullins, the quarterback, 13 for 20, 212, two touchdowns and an interception. And Josh Hill, the safety, picked off Averett quarterback Bryce Jackson, who went 9 for 22 with three interceptions on the day. And he picked them off twice. So uh, I'm sure that they did not exchange Christmas card addresses after that game. And finally, because <laughs> NC Wesleyan and Greensboro had canceled, we ended, what, ended up with a Sunday game in the USA South. Maryville wins 13-6 over North Carolina Wesleyan. And uh, basically, <laughs> kind of backward on the yardage totals, 239-149 to 149 in favor of yeah. North Carolina Wesleyan. George, or Charles Sias had a uh, game-high nine tackles with three sacks in the three-and-a-half tackles for loss that he'd have. But the defensive battle would be won when Bo Herring had a 30-yard interception return, pick six with 638 remaining in this game. And that is the USA South action. Uh, you know, it's kind of a quiet conference so far, but they're starting to get it together. And to pull off that Sunday game, kudos to them. Yeah, and I think we're starting to see some players emerge. Like, for instance, with Brevard, you know, Eli Carr seems to really secure his spot as the, as a quarterback. That win against Huntington was sort of a, I guess you could say, revenge for the 25 to 18 loss that they had a few weeks back. Uh, so, congratulations to the Tornadoes. I guess it's their first sort of official home game um, on their on their campus in the sort of this new era of, of football for them. Uh, so. Interesting stuff going on. Just a few games here and there, but we're starting to see some common names pop up every week, which is uh, which has been fun. And the American Southwest Conference, that Louisiana College, they they're going to the NAIA <laughs> next year, and uh, they, they want to leave oh, us man. with some memories on their way out the door, apparently. 
So already 7-0 Louisiana College, and uh, five seconds into the second quarter, uh, Markalen Milburn had a 12-yard touchdown run on a 10-play drive that made it 13-0 Louisiana College. Now 13-7, uh, Southwestern decides, hey, you know what, uh, we're going to uh, pull out our inner Bellhaven here and come back in this game against Louisiana College Ooh. a little bit. And Anthony Stevens has a 25-yard touchdown pass from Austin Casaleja, I believe is the pronunciation. And if it's not, I tried real hard there. 14-13, Southwestern now has the lead. A field goal at no time left in the second quarter made the halftime score 17-13, Southwestern. A touchdown 10 minutes into the second half for Southwestern made it 24-13. So in the third quarter, four minutes left, this Austin Casaleja 10-yard pass from Landry Gilpin. So... Obviously, a little bit of razzle-dazzle going on here. Uh, if We have yeah. Austin Castellea on both ends of uh, touchdowns here. Made it a 31-13 Southwestern lead. So this is over, right? No, it's Louisiana College. They're a fourth-quarter team, apparently. So Jacob <laughs> Gnote, with an eight-yard pass from Sal, Pimero, Sal, Sal Palmero, he said, started the comeback with seven minutes left. That's 31-20 in favor of Southwestern. Then Kanan Leon with a 62-yard touchdown pass from Palermo made it 31-26 two and a half minutes later. And then another two and a half minutes later, Palermo again, this time on his own, a three-yard run, 34-31 Louisiana College. Wow. wow. But still one more chance. Could the Bellhaven move happen here at the end of this game? No, as Landry Gilpin is incomplete on fourth down, and it is Louisiana College winning this one 34-31. The defense from Louisiana College had five sacks and an interception, one of the sacks coming in that final drive, or a drive yep. attempt by Southwestern. Palmero, 14 for 34 passing, 238 yards, two passing touchdowns, and the rushing touchdown that you saw. Ben Brockman had a game-high 10 tackles for Southwestern. Also in the ASC, Harden Simmons 41, Howard Payne 14. Uh, Harden Simmons jumped out to a 27-0 lead, surprisingly, and outgained Howard Payne 601 to 287. They are the real deal, Harden Simmons. The Cowboys are going to have an interesting uh, championship game if this continues, assuming they get yep. there, and I think they will. Kyle Jones 21 for 33, passing 277, two passing, one rush touchdown. Mark Reed 16 rushes, 144 yards and a touchdown. Howard Payne's Billy Regans had 12 rushes, 107 and 1 on the ground. Texas Lutheran 51, McMurray 21. TLU had jumped out to a 17 0 lead, but the Warhawks would battle back to cut the advantage to 24 21 with three minutes left in the first half. But uh, Texas Lutheran obviously fired back and fired back hard in that second half. Uh, they scored the final 27 points of the game to be specific. Texas Lutheran's Seth Cosme, the quarterback, gets 11 for 18 for 126, two touchdowns, added another 58 yards on 15 rushes. Their defense had two interceptions and a forced fumble and a 15-minute time of possession advantage there for TLU. Harden Simmons, I said, was the real deal. Uh, they got to showcase themselves without Mary Harden-Baylor playing last weekend. You, yep. you sticking on your uh, pony on this one? Uh, yeah, I think the, the the Cowboys remain the team to beat. We'll we'll see how it goes. I mean, we thought that this um, Howard Payne Harden Simmons matchup might be a little more competitive, and it really was not. Uh, you know, these Cowboys are loaded on offense, and they can play outstanding defense too. I just don't know if um, the Crusaders have the offensive firepower to keep up with a team that can score as easily as this one. 
Let's hand out some hardware. In the SAA, the championship game was between yeah. Barry and Hendricks. 21-20, Barry wins, but let's go through this one. In the first half, Gavin Gray was intercepted at the 25-yard line. Johnson with the interception, and but just a, two plays later, literally, Miles Thompson was intercepted by Cade Kenimore at the 13-yard line of Barry. So uh, they eventually got it to the 18-yard line on the return. That led to this play here. That's Cameron Kawa with the 13-yard touchdown reception from Gavin Gray. It's 7-0, Barry, 11 minutes into the game. Hendricks's Blake, Hilt Blake Hinton uh, responds with a 10-yard reception from Miles Thompson to even it up at 7-7. In the next drive, watch what happens here as the punt is muffed by Hendricks and... The fumble was recovered by Thomas at the Hendricks 2. He tried to run it in, but it's a muff. You can't yeah. advance the muff once you take possession of it. So, two-yard line, next play. Here we go. As Mason Ave has the two-yard run for Barry, makes it 14-7 in favor of Barry. In the second quarter, Barry keeps it going. This time on defense as Devin Greer had a 58-yard pick six here. And after this, we didn't see Miles Thompson, according to uh, the play-by-play. -play. We weren't sure exactly when we lost him in this game, but this was the final uh, straw, possibly, for him. Not sure if he was injured or what exactly happened on this situation, but Jacob Wood would take over the duties. Barry had several opportunities to go up 21 points in the second and third quarters. The halftime score was the 21-7 you had seen. In the fourth quarter, as it was a score's third quarter, Hendricks is Jacob Wood, the quarterback who really kind of uh, is a dual threat himself, had a 15-yard touchdown run. It's 21-14, still in favor of Barry. Four minutes left, Tajay White with a 9-yard touchdown run. So Barry let him hang around way too long in this game. Instead of shutting him, out, shutting him down with a three-possession game, it was always two possessions, then one possession, and now it's going to be tied. Or is it? Extra point is off the upright. It's off the upright and no good, oh no! So it stays 21-20, Barry clinging to a one point lead. That extra point miss makes it 21 to 20. Here's the final play on fourth down and eight as Wood tries to rush on fourth and eight, but there's just no way he's gonna get those eight yards. Uh, you know, give him A for effort in the game, but a little green in a situation like that he needed to throw the ball, he didn't, and that gave Barry the SAA Championship 21-20. to And Gavin Gray finishes 18 for 28, 205, one touchdown, two interceptions, but he did weather those interceptions at the end of the day. And uh, give Barry's defense credit, four interceptions, three by Devin Greer, two forced fumbles, Jack Carroll with game-high 13 tackles, a sack inside the uh, two tackles for loss that he had. Also in the SAA, the two-seed game on Saturday was Birmingham Southern falling to Trinity, Texas, 38-15. Low-scoring first half ended 10-3 in favor of Trinity. But three different rushers scored for Trinity, and their defense held Birmingham Southern to 46 rush yards and forced five turnovers in the game, including three forced fumbles and two interceptions, both by Jeremy Irving. On the Sunday games, we talked about center versus Austin earlier, 44-20. Center quarterback Trenton Dupper and running back Paddock Edwards had identical stats. 11 rushes, 64 yards. Dupper had one rushing touchdown. 
I, get, I don't know if it's Dupper or Duper. I've heard it both ways. I apologize, Trenton, if we have uh, messed it up throughout the weeks here. Edwards had two uh, touchdowns on the ground. Uh, but Duper also passed to 301 yards, just 11 completions. So a lot of uh, you know average on that those completions. Two touchdowns, one interception. And finally, Millsaps in the 4C game beats Rhodes 27-13. to As Millsaps score at the end of the second, third, and fourth quarters to put the game away. Uh, it was Jaden Horton with 16 rushes, 72 yards, and a touchdown. And also, as I turn my page here, 25 for 33 was Luke Macias for 245 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. But again, added 32 yards on the ground as quarterback. SAA comes to a close. What's your final thoughts on them this season? You know, I think outstanding uh, spring spring ball season for them. Probably some of the most entertaining games that we've gotten to see so far in these first six weeks. I thought the championship game at the War Memorial Stadium lived up to the hype. I mean, Hendricks defensively did everything they possibly could. Um, they, you know, they, they picked off Gray a couple times. They really only technically allowed, I get, you could sort of say, one touchdown, really. I mean, you know, the, the punt uh, situation, you know, getting stuck on your two-yard line is not really their fault. The pick six wasn't really their fault. And in a way, you know, if it wasn't for some of these huge special teams mistakes, uh, the Warriors very easily could have claimed that title. But, hey, you got to credit guys like Greer. you got to you know, credit guys like Gray and Kyle. They made the plays when they had to. And defensively, the Vikings, uh, you know, came up with a lot of turnovers. So they're the champs once again in the SAA. And uh, we look forward to seeing them again this fall. In the Heartland, uh, the HCAC, it was Anderson at Bluffton. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you, Bluffton's defense is the real deal here, that's for sure. As Bluffton starts this game up 7-0, Anderson has the ball here, and Tyson Harley is intercepted by Montez Archer Jr. at the Bluffton 23. The ensuing drive, though, they cough it back up as Zachary Novus for Bluffton was intercepted by Juan Carlos Ramey. And then, though, flip it back one more time on 4th and 5, Tyson Harley was intercepted by Mar- Martez Neighbors at the Bluffton 38. That leads to this score here by Ryan Markov, an 11-yard pass from Zachary Novus. It's 14-0, Bluffton. Now Bluffton up 28-7. Halftime score, though, 28-13, because with no time on the clock, James Tucker receives a 4-yard touchdown pass from Tyson Harley, so the halftime score instead is... 28-13 to 13 after the kick failed. Getting used to saying that lately. Uh, in the third quarter, two and a half minutes in, Alex Barnett with a 38-yard pass from Tyson Harley. Now it's 28-21, Bluffton leading. Reggie Lipscomb, a six-yard pass from Tyson Harley. They're going to tie it, right? No, the kick failed. It's 28-27, <laughs> Bluffton. But, Doink. you know, a little bit of credit here because Bluffton does come back with four and a half minutes left in this game. And a Darian Greeley 10-yard touchdown run to make it 35-27. The final Anderson drive, they, they had a chance here. They got to the Bluffton 27, but guess who? Montez Archer Jr. intercepts the ball on a first down play and ends this game effectively 35-27. The three interceptions for Archer, his second in as, in as many weeks. He had a 70-yard punt return for touchdown as well. Nick Perry for uh, Bluffton with a game-high 13 tackles. Tyson Harley for Anderson, though, 44 of 63 passing, 304, three touchdowns, four interceptions. But, yes, 63 passes and completed 44 of them. That might tell you what Anderson's go-to offensive play is. (laughs) Pass, 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 pass. 
Uh, also in the Heartland, Franklin 50, Manchester 3 as the Grizz outgained Manchester 5, 16 to 233 in terms of yardage. Their running back Derek Thompson at 16 rushes for 234 and two touchdowns. Defense held Manchester to 40 rushing yards, but the Chris rushed for 402 of their own, so that was an imbalanced yep. game for sure. Rose home in 31, Mount St. Joseph 21. We'll talk about the uh, standouts here. Shane Welshans from Rose Hallman with 34 rushes, 134 yards, two touchdowns, and added four catches for another touchdown. Uh, Mount St. Joseph's wide receiver Austin Brock had seven catches, 123, and also the linebacker Jonathan Finn had a game-high 14 tackles. Pretty balanced game there overall, uh, but uh, Rose Hallman comes out on top. Hanover 56, Defiance 12. And uh, in this case, uh, Hanover, uh, you know, defending champs. We'll talk a little bit more about their showdown with Bluffton coming up here. It was Matthew yep. Weimer with 15 for 19 passing, 137, or I'm sorry, 134 yards, and he added seven carries for uh, 14 yards and four rushing touchdowns. You know, do some math hmm. here and say there were a lot of short rushing touchdowns, but nonetheless, he yep. got in early and often in that game. Their defense forced five turnovers in the game. Heartland uh, heating up here. Bluffton with that slight advantage. We'll talk more about them later. But uh, Hanover definitely showing that they are trying to keep the uh, trophy on the mantle, per se, in the Heartland. Yeah, I mean, for me, it feels like it's a it's a three-team race at this point with, with Bluffton, Franklin, and Hanover. I mean, Franklin is averaging over 560-something yards per game, over 50 points per game so far in this or the early part of the spring season. So we're going to see um, some pretty exciting matchups down the road in the Heartland. Uh, I think, as we've, as we've heard, there's been all, some pretty high turnovers <laughs> numbers in these games. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, I think the scores are going to probably match the high turnover numbers, and we're going to see some uh, some shootouts in the next couple weeks. Talk about the Northwest Conference. The one game, uh, just going to be I'll show you a couple clips because uh, we've become a fan, uh, to say the least, of Ethan Pelliquin. Uh, his sixth touchdown of the season is his 53-yard pass from Jaden Pruitt. And then his seventh touchdown of the season is this 45-yard touchdown pass from Pruitt. Pruitt had four touchdown passes in the first half. I think 360-ish yards in the first half alone. Yeah. Incredible stats. Uh, 30, 23 for 38 in the end. 458 as he was pulled, I believe, in the fourth quarter. And four touchdowns. Yeah. Peliquin, 14 catches for 325 yards and seven touchdowns in the spring. He, half of the catches that Peliquin had in the spring were touchdowns, folks. And uh, awesome. Pack Lutz, Kalen Davis-White had a game-high seven tackles go with the sack inside his two-and-a-half tackles for loss. Now to the NJAC. By the way, uh, Northwest Conference, thank you for getting those games out and off uh, this season. We do appreciate that effort out there. Absolutely. Salisbury, 32, Wesley, 30. Bittersweet game, to say the least, here. The final Route 13 game. Let's look at some clips as I threw my sheet aside. Now I've got it back to tell you that the first clip you're seeing is two minutes into the game, Xavier Drummond with a 34-yard touchdown run. He made it 6-0, Wesley, because Wesley didn't have a place kicker. So these aren't missed extra points. These are missed two-point conversions when they don't convert. Oh, Their boy. kicker is a lacrosse player and chose lacrosse on Saturday. In the second quarter, five seconds into it, Hunter Cleaver with the 13-yard pass from Jack Lana made it 7-6 Salisbury. This later, though, became 14-6 on a Marcus Wilson one-yard touchdown. Wesley equalizes here as Jerish Halsey has a... 
63-yard touchdown pass from Brady Walters. It's 14-14 as the conversion rush by Xavier Drummond is good, and that would be our halftime score. In the fourth quarter now, it's 22-17, Wesley, after some back-and-forth action in the third. A minute and a half into that fourth quarter, Marcus Wilson gets his eight-yard touchdown run. It's 25-22 in favor of Salisbury. Then later, with two minutes left, Jack Lanham gets this, really, this dagger uh, run here, a 14-yard touchdown run. Yeah. It's 32-22 Salisbury, but the final touchdown on Drass Field in its history for Wesley. It's going to be this Jairus Halsey 10-yard touchdown pass from Brady Walters. Fourth and goal from the 10. Walters play action. Throws into the end zone. It's got Halsey. Touchdown, Wesley. Jairus Halsey's second touchdown of the day. It's 32-30 after the two-point conversion is good, but there it is, folks. Brady Walters to Jairus Halsey is how Drassfield will end in terms of touchdown scoring. 32-30, unless they can figure out another game to schedule there. That's it. Salisbury wins the final Route 13 showdown by that score. You'll see the stats on the screen. Give me your take on this one. I gotta let, we got to stop here and uh, take our hats off to Wesley and trying to fight back here with that shortened roster. But uh, give uh, some kudos to Salisbury for not getting kind of caught in the emotion themselves and, you know, dropping this one. Yeah, and we saw some, we saw some new players like Marcus Wilson for Salisbury kind of, you know, sort of take over where you know some prior you know seagull running backs had left off and and so solid win for for salisbury obviously against a longtime rival and you know it was a it was emotional i mean at the end of the game you could hear our friend um you know, jason bowens and sean green you know kind of waxing poetic and and sean at one point you know his his voice kind of got, got a little choked up and um you know just Thinking back on all the memories, all the all the games that they had called there, and, and if this is in fact the very last one, while um, bittersweet to, to lose by two points, it was still it was an outstanding game um, back and forth. The Wolverines never quit, and uh, yeah, just, just give them credit for uh, for going all the way there to the very end. Let's talk about one final game here: uh, Montclair State at Kane. Let's look, look at the first two Montclair uh, drives. I'll put in quotes here as the uh, first play of the game is Zahir Wilder, his 93-yard kickoff return. Coach Palazzo's first stint as special teams coordinator, and apparently he said, Just like he drew it up, Coach. Yep, yep. <laughs> Zahir, take the ball and run really fast with it, and that he did. Touchdown, Montclair, 7-0. And then our guest on the show later on, Carson Johnson, with his 55-yard touchdown pass from Jaquiel Birch, made it 14-0. Uh, you know, there was a lot more of that throughout the game. We'll just say 41 to 12 was the final. And give uh, credit to Johnson, who uh, broke that record with 212 yards on his five catches in one touchdown day. Birch, 11 for 22, 284, two touchdowns. Kane's Anthony uh, Broccoletti was 10 for 22, 123 yards, two touchdowns as quarterback. But Montclair's defense, four forced fumbles in the game. And Seamus Nelson with game high, eight tackles in a fumble recovery. Uh, William Patterson, Christopher Newport was postponed, so I'm not going to tell you about that. But what I will tell you is that is crunch time for week six of the 2021 spring season. Um, I think that took about nine hours to do, so we might want to yeah, get right. getting to our <laughs> interviews in this portion of the show. Uh, and first, let's uh, go to that game that we just talked about. We'll start off with our East Region guest, uh, our first East Region player guest. And bonus guest as well. Uh, we talked to Carson Johnson about that 212-yard day. That's a record for Montclair State. 
We'd like to welcome Carson Johnson, a senior wide receiver from Montclair State, onto the show. Carson, how did it feel to finally, after what, like something like 400 plus days or so uh, of waiting to to have a chance to get out on the field Saturday and play in a real game against uh, against Kane? Uh, I felt great. It always feels good to be able to play football. I'm kind of old. It was fun. A really good time. Good to see these guys out there on the field playing on the same same size of ball as my teammates as opposed to, you know, going against the defensive guys. It's nice to hit a different color. Uh, it's, just, it's, that, it's, how, it's how I remembered it being. You know, it's it's been a while, but uh, I think I, I picked up some things that I, I kind of left off with back in the day. Back in the day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah whatever it was, 400 <laughs> days ago. I don't even know. You're, you're such an old man, man. Uh, back in the day, I know. Let me tell I, feel, you about, I feel it. I really do. Let me tell you about back in the day, but we'll, we don't have that much time for this. <laughs> oh, anyway, uh, look, uh, as the line says down there, setting uh, the school records to five receptions, 212 yards, and a touchdown. But you guys had to kind of wait for a second for uh, this uh, to roll for the offense because your special teams decided to score right off the bat, if I remember correctly. Uh, first touch of the ball. Uh, goes in for a touchdown. Coach Palazzo's uh, first uh, stint as special teams coordinator. He wanted me to uh, give him a shout, and there it is, uh, Coach. Uh, he, he did provide me the Red Hawks shirt back when, so uh, you know I, I had to do that. But so it took a little while, and yet I mean, 212 yards. That's a phenomenal first game out performance. Uh, you're going to credit your quarterback, or what? What led to this? Uh, situation where uh, you you get kind of that mecca of yardage numbers uh, over 200 for a receiver. Uh, that was was the return was Zaire Wilder number two. He's a, a senior DB. He's a great athlete, great player. You, you took that bad boy to the house. But uh, yeah, our credit to everyone except for me. I mean, I did the, all the easy part. I just kind of ran, and the ball just you know Jaquil Birch, phenomenal quarterback, my roommate. He does all the hard work. He kind of uh, assesses the field and he puts the ball right where I need it every time. Uh, thank the old lineman. Thank everybody except myself, Coach Sharap. Uh, all these guys are just putting me in the right place to go out there and do my job. Well, this weekend, you guys are going to play, uh, I guess, officially uh, Wesley uh, at home. And I, I know that you had had a prior scrimmage with them uh, about two weeks ago, but you weren't able to, perform, uh, to play in, in that for some reason. So tell us a little bit about what it means uh, for the Red Hawks for this last tilt against your old rivals from the Wolverines? Oh, it's exciting. It's exciting. Last year, uh, we had a great game against them. They pulled one out really late against us. Uh, it's a great rivalry between us and Wesley. So we're, we're fired up to get out there Saturday. We're fired up to go play these Wolverines and kind of take it to them at home this year. It's been a while since we played them at home. So we're excited. You know, uh, Montclair uh, is a school that uh, a lot of people know of uh, down there and over the last few years has become a better uh, football name. They used to kind of always be the also-rans uh, with the College of New Jersey back when and uh, with Rowan and they would maybe give a run here and there but you know we just never really took them 100% seriously in the old days. Over the last few years uh, things have definitely changed. Uh, you know they're in the conversation with uh, you know the whole NJAC championship possibilities and whatnot, and it's part of your uh, team. Uh, you know over the years that has helped contribute to that. 
How satisfying would it be? I, I, I don't know if you're coming back next year. This is always a choice we leave up to the student-athletes uh, this uh, season here to tell us what their plans might be. You don't have to tell us. That's your business. But ultimately, what would it mean to be essentially the top dog in the NJAC after all the kind of you know discussions and near misses and everything else over the years, especially based on the pretext I set up of the old days when Montclair really wasn't that team and what you guys have been able to do to make it that team here? Yeah, Coach, I mean, you have a guy like Coach G, I mean, the Don of, of New Jersey football. He is an incredible coach. He's been doing this a long time. So he, he's a, he's a no-nonsense type of guy. So it really starts with him. He's seconders. And then you got guys like uh, Coach Sharap, Coach Palazzo, all these offensive guys that I'm, I'm blessed to be able to, to interact with. They, they, they've changed the culture over the past few years. I mean, we got you know, Jaquilla Birch. I'll, I'll bring him up again. The guy's a, uh, an A1 guy. He's a pro. He's a vet. He, he does everything right. And so those kind of things set the standard for Montclair State to kind of have the shot at the end. I mean, every day, every season we come into, we're expecting an inject. We go into it. Our goal is to not, you know, do well this year, not to set things up for a following year. It's to, to win an inject. This is what we have this year. This is what we're going to play with. And this is how we're going to succeed. Yeah, you, you reminded me of something with with, uh, with Coach G, meaning Coach G and Cole there at, at Montclair. Over yep. 250 wins as a head coach. Yep. He's been around for a few decades now. And I think, Frank, you might be the as far as active uh, coaches in, in college football at any level, probably has one of the highest win totals out there. Um you know, Carson, for uh, you know, for a student athlete like yourself, I mean, the, there's you know, there's this talk of a, you know of a grind of a football season, right? Uh, effectively, though, it seems like uh, even though there haven't been many games played, what we've been hearing from other coaches and, and players is that you guys have been out there practicing um, and getting prepared for for this moment. It's just taken you know, three, four or five months <laughs> to, to kind of get here. Yeah. Um, what has that, what has that grind been like? You know, how, have, how, have, uh, you know, players like you and, and, and Jaquil, the other guys on the team, how do you keep focused and, and, you know, with knowing that eventually there, there, there might be a game, but you're just having to keep practicing and get better uh, even with the possibility of never even having a season. Yeah. This situation with, with COVID and everything that's going on, it kind of, uh, puts an emphasis on the self-starters, kind of puts an emphasis on the guys that you're not really guaranteed anything. And you're kind of like, I can go out there and I can play on Saturdays and hopefully we get to play and, you know, I'll rest on my preparation from past past seasons. But it's it's times like when you, you don't have practice, you don't get to practice and you go out there on your own and you're, you're throwing with guys and you're doing everything by yourself to get ready and you kind of get to rest on those that preparation, you get to feel confident in that preparation. So it, it emphasis on the guys who take it upon themselves to, to get started. Carson, you feel you sound like a very open person. Uh, great answers uh, to all of our questions, and uh, kind of from the heart uh, quite often. So I'm going to ask you a question here. Does it feel weird to be playing in the spring at all? I mean, does it? Does this make sense in, in terms of your own clock internally and everything else that's going on here that you're coming out and it's, you know, we just went through daylight savings time uh, a day ago. Usually we're going the other way through di uh, daylight savings time uh, when it comes to it uh, during football season. Your end of your academic year is technically going to be right after the end of your season here, this mini season. Uh, the possibility of starting football up just a few months later. 
I mean, is this weird feeling at all? And what are your teammates saying? I know it feels great. I know you love it and everything. But at the same time, is it kind of messing with your clock internally at all? Uh, no, I don't think so personally. I mean, we went out there Saturday not kind of knowing what to expect out of all the guys. We're pretty young, pretty young group. And it felt great. I mean, it's free football. You're playing in the spring. This is something you don't usually get to do. And it's a blessing. You get to do it now. All the guys out there Saturday, they felt great. Everyone was out there with a great mindset. We were calm. We were excited. And I think it showed. Now, Carson, one of the things as far as, you know, the spring season goes, you guys will get a couple more games in, uh, but then, you know, either – Graduations coming up, uh, maybe graduate school. Uh, you know, I, I know that Montclair offers some some uh, you know, graduate classes, and so guys with eligibility either may go that route, or they may just decide to, you know, take get get going in their careers and their jobs. Do you have a sense, uh, at least with with the team in general, and maybe with this, you know, incoming class, is like, is this going to be this fall going to be one of the bigger <laughs> rosters in Montclair history because of basically you have like five years of guys um, or do you think it'll be you know, sort of like it's, it's always been where you have the natural sort of graduation and then the new crop of, uh, of Red Hawks coming on? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. It is. We're capped at 125, I believe for roster spots coming into the spring and coming into the training. But I think it'll be kind of the same old. We got the guys, the vets who kind of, We'll stick around and play next year and the guys, the rookies coming in and then camp kind of weeds out who, you know, thinks that it's something they can just mosey into. And it's tough. You know, camp is tough. So I think it's I think it'll be the same to answer your question. I think everything will just kind of be as it's been. I, I see Montclair hiding some cards here, and I have no uh, problem with that whatsoever. So, uh, <laughs> you, you're a poker player there, Carson, at all? Uh, don't answer that because I can't say that. Not a lot to ask that question. But uh, nonetheless, a little bit of a poker uh, answer there, I, I could tell, and uh, Coach will be proud of you for that. Uh, listen, first East Region guest, uh, player-wise, that we've had uh, during the spring season. Uh, so it's great to have the East Region back at, uh, at this point. We've, we've been covering the South like it's our home or something, and they're like, who the hell are you guys uh, that's in the Huddle Show? But good to be back in uh, our region that knows who we are a little bit, I think. I hope at least they know who we are. Yes, absolutely. Okay, good. Thank God. Uh, but we want to give you the chance, as you know, probably from uh, the years of us doing the show, of shout-outs at this point to any teammates, friends, family, uh, significant others, anything. Uh, I mean, it's your uh, time to shine here. Carson Johnson, shout-out, sir. All right. Well, that was kind of – let me start by saying my coaches, right? We've got Coach G. Uh, he's done everything for everybody. Legend of the game. You got my coaches, Coach Palaz, brought me in, Coach Sharap. They've been a real mentor to me through this game. Even on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, Montclair State's known for their great defense. Coach Agresta, Coach Wiley, all these great guys. Coach Pete Lesler, great coaches. Teammates, my boy Jaquil Birch in there, on the room right now, just kind of hanging out. He's the man. My boy Steve Gaffney, Matthew Schnoll. So many great people. All my teammates. I'm not going to sit here and riddle off all these guys because I've developed a lot of relationships with these people. My parents, my mother, my father, my girlfriend, my brother, my sisters, everybody. I mean, this is, you know, I'm here standing, sitting in front of you guys because of all these people around me. So, 
Okay, I, I got to say two things. Uh, JB just pointed out something. Uh, we have Montclair University on there. Uh, we use that interchangeably with Montclair State, so we don't want to offend anybody. Uh, but I do want to go back to something you said. Uh, Jaquil's in the uh, room right now? I can, I can get him in here right now. He would love to do this. Uh, I, 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 bring him in. Bring him in. Come on. Go ahead. <laughs> But he's uh he's powdering his nose real quick in the restroom, so he, he maybe have to give him. A oh, okay. this, this will be edited. <laughs> All right, good, good, good. Yeah, let me just say I didn't I didn't get the chance to say it, but I want to thank you guys uh, for you know giving D three football a platform. It's, it's uh it's you know it's not common. Thank you guys. Thank you both, Frank and JB. Well, uh, we thank you guys. Yeah, you guys welcome, have man. always welcomed this uh, with open arms. Coach P is uh, always in contact with us. Tell us what's up, or uh, how you like the show, or how bad my predictions are, and everything else. So, <laughs> put them out there. Doesn't matter. Jaquil, uh, so listen, we wanted to drag you in here uh, first off to say great job on Saturday and uh, in your career. We appreciate watching you all the time. Obviously, we talk about you all the time on In the Huddle. But we got it. This is the Carson Johnson interview. So we have to give a yeah. testimonial to Carson Johnson here. I know he got caught from behind uh, maybe once on Saturday when he delivered a sweet ball to him uh, down uh, the field. But Jaquil, tell us about Carson Johnson and how good of a wide receiver this guy is. Really? Yes, it's about good. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Let's get out of here. Uh... Carson's a yeah, he, he's a hard worker, and I think I think all of his all of his hard work came into fruition uh, the other day against uh, against Kane, and I don't I don't think Kane prepared for him the the way he prepared for them. So and and it, and it showed a number five catches two hundred yards. It's that's those are matter numbers, you know. And then hopefully we can duplicate it against this week against Wesley. But um, yeah, he's a he's just a tremendous hard worker. So that's all I can say about him. He's just a hard worker. He 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 tries to. I'll, I'll match everybody with his hard work. Well, you certainly put in some hard work on Saturday, almost 300 yards passing, a lot of those to, to this guy right behind you. But, you know, how does it feel for you, Jaquil, to to know that this is pretty much your last, you know, last shot at Wesley? I mean, you guys have had some great games against them over the years. Um, you know, their their program is, is kind of at the end of the line uh, for, for a number of reasons, but – would a would a win on Saturday be extra special? You know, given it's the, the the last the last time you'll ever face these guys, basically. Um, I, I want to say extra extra special because it's 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 any other game. So we're we're prepared for them the same we prepare for anybody else. But we 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 we, we owe them one for for the way they came at us last year. So we'll we'll start with today. We'll start on Monday. We'll prepare for them and we'll try to win each day and get ready for them on Saturday. So. Okay, so someday we're going to have the actual Jaquil Birch solo interview about Jaquil Birch, okay? Uh, we promise you that, but uh, since you, we did drag you in here, since you did have hair and makeup, come and uh, get you ready for this uh, real quick. Uh, we will give you a chance for shout-outs as well. As you know uh, how this show works, uh, we give our player guests the uh, opportunity for shout-outs to family, friends, teammates, etc. You know how this works, Jaquil. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I... I guess shout out to my family back home in Elizabeth, all my teammates and our our great school at Montclair State and all the recruits. If you come fly with us, man, that's it. 
Love it, love it. So uh, poker awesome. face over there uh, won't tell us uh, who's coming back, who's not. Uh, what, what year are you officially right now, Jaquil, for those that don't know? I'm a senior in the spring. And, I'll be uh, back in there it is. I knew we'd get one of you two to uh, at least say. I, I, right. and I had a feeling, Jaquil, you'd be back. And that makes a lot of people in the end, Jack, upset. Uh, get Carson back in there. Carson, where the hell did you go? Come on. Wait, this is your interview, man. You don't have to look like you're pulling the strings back there a little bit. But uh, it's a little dark, as you guys said. There it goes. So you lighten back up. But Carson, we want to uh, thank you for joining us. want to wish my clear luck. I, as I was pointing out, behind me is the uh, Wesley shirt. So we are equal time here, no matter how we uh, look at it. But uh, you guys have done a phenomenal job at Montclair and on this interview, and we want to thank you guys for everything uh, you do for uh, East Region football and uh, making it real legit lately because uh, it's great having Montclair in the conversation. That was a lot of fun, and uh, glad that uh, mm -hmm. we got a little uh, Jaquil Birch time there, and uh, hopefully uh, get some more. As he said, he's coming back, and I'm sure the NJAC heard that, and we were like, oh, God, really? we got to deal with him for another year? <laughs> Uh, he's yep. a very good quarterback, uh, a stand-up guy for sure, and uh, we, we had a little bit of fun with him there, but obviously uh, he, he is a heck of a player, so thanks to him. Uh, Montclair was one of those teams that was hell-bent on playing this spring, and you can tell that they are very, very uh, humble about the ability to get that uh, chance and thankful for that matter. Yeah, I think any East Region team, uh, you know, all the coaches across the 70-some-odd uh, schools that are in this region were, were hoping that they would get this opportunity. But Montclair, Keen, uh, Kane, I always, oh, it's another New Year, still saying it wrong, James, way to go. Uh, you know, the handful of teams in the NJAC they're getting to play are, are really the, you know, the envy of the rest of the region. Now, we, we did see some good news, Frank, that looks like Western New England is going to try to play a game against Nichols. Um, so, hey, that's great. Hopefully we'll see some more of that pop up. Uh, we have some other conferences coming on board in the coming weeks. And so, you know, hey, not too late. Try to, there's been a lot of history now. There's six, we got six weeks of proof that this can work. Um, and yeah, there were only 23 games because a few got canceled. There's going to be, I think, 35 or 36 coming up this weekend. We're really starting to turn the corner on the back half of, of the season, but Let's look at them now, actually, uh, as we lead them, because we want to highlight one of the games that is coming up here. And uh, you'll yep. see them on the screen as uh, we talk about the highlights of this. Uh, Heartland with uh, four, a batch of four games here again on uh, Saturday. Actually, should go to the Friday night first, right? And tell you that the OAC has four games. <laughs> the pack, yep. we believe, is uh, going to finally start play here with three games, including Grove City uh, hosting St. Vincent uh, coming up here. Mm -hmm. So kudos to our friends of the pack on getting this off the ground. The NCAC will have Denison at Ohio Wesleyan. And the ODAC, you know, our old standards here for Friday Night Football, are going to have four more games as they begin to round out their season. Well, three. Excuse me, three games. Uh, who canceled there? I, I want to make sure we have the right one. Washington, Washington and Lee is, That's is right. not going to play yep. this spring. Yep. Good point. Good point. I'm not sure why I, I, I didn't cross that out. My bad on that one. Nonetheless, uh, but this, well, no, and I'll tell you something. For, for folks that don't understand, tracking these games has been a full time job of sorts because of the cancellations and whatnot. We're not complaining, we're just saying it's been a challenge. This is not like a normal season yeah. where you schedule games and those games get played and that's that. So uh, it's been different. 
in the Heartland, four games. Uh, we're, that Bluffton-Hanover game, more on that in a second, because that's a really important game for that conference coming up. Uh, the ASC has four games as we are beginning to round out our time here in the ASC. I believe our championship game uh, coverage is coming up next weekend, I think week. the 27th. Yeah, yep. I think so. USA South with three games scheduled. Now, we've seemed to always lose one along the way, it seems like, from that conference uh, between uh, you know Saturday and Saturday. But we'll see what happens here. MIAA is going to join us. So is the NACC. Yeah, they're going to join us as well. And the CCIW. So some new wow. conferences yeah. joining the bunch here as the NJAC has two games, the NCAC with a game. Then at Sunday game, uh, or games actually, the MIAA uh, with one. Uh, we're, we've got Christopher Newport Salisbury down. We're not sure if this will actually play or not as of right now. We hope it does. There's a Monday game, but we really don't think this one's going to play for some reason. It's Hartwick at St. John Fisher. We told you about the Hartwick situation, and we haven't been able to confirm either way so far what's going on there. But the Tuesday game looks likely here, uh, which is Alfred at Utica. Going to try to get out at, uh, to that one if I can fly back in time on Monday. Uh, I want to go see Alfred at Utica, which is uh, my excuse to get Utica Greens, basically. Let's go back <laughs> to Bluffton-Hanover. Uh, Bluffton, one of our tri-national champs from uh, the fall season. Uh, and we, as we said, we've done that more to sort of highlight the teams that got out there, actually played games against all odds, and won those games, uh, essentially. And, uh, you know, Merchant Marine and Trine uh, being the other two in that fall season. Uh, but they really have parlayed that fall into a spring that's really becoming lights out defensively at the very least with what they've got going on there. So we wanted to talk to Coach Aaron Kreps first about his team and about this Hanover game as Hanover is kind of the leaders of the pack uh over the last uh, few years and see uh, his thoughts on what's coming up here and how things are going at Bluffton. Then we, after that, we're going to just run right into the interview with Montez Archer Jr., who had three interceptions for the second straight game this past weekend. So two interviews back-to-back coming up here from Bluffton. Coach Kreps, you know, we didn't get a chance to talk with you when we named you one of the tri-national uh, champions in the fall, uh, after all that uh, back and forth and the poll that we uh, put out and everything else and uh, our press release, uh, you know, congratulations to your team for making this just not a one-hit wonder from the fall. You guys are 3-0 and right now with the two spring games. Uh, I don't know how we ex- exactly look at whether it's just the fall and the spring separately or whatever. We'll all figure that out eventually, but your team must be thrilled with the school's commitment to play football in the fall and in the spring. It's a rarity, as you know. Uh, tell us about that commitment. Well, blessed. There's no doubt about that. For us to have the opportunity, uh, keep talking about we're on house money because I know there's a lot of guys out there right now that be wishing they were in this situation. Uh, we were one of six schools right in Division three to play in the uh, fall and to turn around and have a seven-game conference schedule this uh, spring is just amazing. And uh, I just I, thankful, thankful from the commitment from the university, starting with our president, and you know making athletics important and showing that it's possible to do all the testing and all the requirements and still play safely and and, and give everybody what they're you know what they're hoping for. 
Well, speaking of, of playing, you guys played really well against a pretty tough Anderson team last Saturday, Coach. You guys were, were kind of up big there for a little while, and, and this Anderson uh, scrappy bunch led by that huge quarterback of <laughs> theirs, a guy who's 6'4", 240 or something like that, you know, kind of kind of crept them back into the game. What did you? What were you telling your team, especially in the second half uh, and, and into the fourth quarter, as that margin was narrowed? And was it just you know kind of focus on continue to execute, or were there some other things you had to go back into the game plan or playbook to dial up to close this one out? Well, I think the way the game played out, we uh, we knew they were going to be a scrappy bunch. They had 100 snaps the previous week. Uh, it's a it's an up tempo air raid style offense. And they do a great job staying on the field. They're not a vertical pass game as much where it's dink and dunk. And it forces you to, to execute defensively and get off the field. You know, I think we, we put them in 25 third down situations, which, you know, I think for us, we executed our game plan pretty well. Uh, they averaged, I think, 4.4, 4.1 yards per, uh, per play which uh, I think is a, is a testament to what we did defensively, but it's just, it's one of those things. It's just play after play. It's a methodical and they got it back into the game. Um, you know, they scored right before half to make it a two score game going into halftime. They came out, scored again. So they took care of the middle eight, which kept them in the game. And then we had a special teams turnover after the third score uh, to start the second half, which really, really uh, changed the dynamic of the game. And I mean, for us as an offensive standpoint, that kind of changed the play call with something that was always in uh, the back of my mind all day was trying to get our defense time to rest when they got to the sideline. So you were trying to find ways to eat up clock, uh, move the ball. And, you know, we had some success there in the first half. Uh, starting running back, D. Greeley ran for nine yards of carry on the day. So we did some really good things, but a return punt and a turnover on kickoff return were uh, two series that our offense didn't have to be on the field, which, you know, I did, I do think in the grand scheme yeah. of the game and how it played out, uh, weighed a lot on just how much our defense was on the field. But yeah, hats off to Anderson because they are very scrappy. It's a good football team. Let's talk about that defense. Uh, I have run out of fingers, I believe, to count turnovers uh, that your defense has had in the two games of the spring. You talked about kind of the house money mentality, but you have a freshman that we're going to be talking to, Montez, for instance, who had six turnovers on his own uh, the last two games. Uh, did that fall game that your team played, do you think that puts you ahead of the curve? And do you think that teams that are playing spring games, period, are going to be ahead of the curve when it comes to next fall in the same way that maybe you guys were a little bit ahead of, ahead of the curve coming into this literal, literal uh, season of spring uh, with your football acumen uh, right now? I think so. I mean, there's no way it didn't. The We had seven weeks in the fall. We got to have a true, really two true in-week seasons with our guys. Uh, I mean, the one game with Trine was canceled, but uh, we still had the game here with uh, Adrian. So just the kind of the in-season mentality, how the flow, the reps that we were able to get, having uh, three weeks of full team practices, it just it paid dividends right now because you got freshmen right now that are going through it for the first time in some of these schools that are just starting to play now where our guys kind of had that upper hand because they've at least had that experience. And a lot of that, you know, for the new guys is just that. Uh, 
how does this flow coming from practice, going to school all day, going to practice, getting into season and, you know, just the scheduling side of it. You know, the fact that we were able to do that, I think uh, definitely pays benefits. And I think it's going to show probably even more in the fall, Frank, uh, once there's the schools that did play and the schools that didn't. I think that's going to show up because they're still going to have guys that are hitting the field, maybe second year in school or still freshmen on the field where our freshmen have gotten hopefully eight games in and they're still freshmen. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's. I think it's definitely going to pay the has and the have-nots here and that's going to show up in the fall. Well, one of the things that, you know, kind of looking at, uh, you guys have had, you know, have been able to put some tape together because you've been able to play some games. This weekend, you're going up against a, a, a opponent in Hanover that, that had a, a pretty, uh, pretty easy win, let's say, over, over Defiance this past weekend. You only have one, one game really to look at them, uh, at. What are some of the advantages and disadvantages, do you think, in, as far as, you know, having to go up against a conference rival when you don't have a lot of tape to look at? Especially when they're playing an opponent, let's face it, you know, they've, Defiance has allowed over 50 points in their two spring games so far each. So, you know, maybe probably not on the same level as you guys, but how as a coach do you approach uh, a game like this when, when you don't really know what you might be going up against? Um, I don't know. I see it probably both sides. They, uh, they have a little more film on us than we have of them. But uh, on the other side of it, we probably have more experience in the sense of just the game reps and the, and the practice time, you know, with being able to go in the fall. So uh, we got to use that to our advantage. And just like every week, we're going to take care of ourselves. You know what I mean? They're, uh, uh, they're coached really well. They're two-time defending champs right now in this conference. So, I mean, they're the top dog. So everybody's chasing them at this point, and that's kind of how we're going into this. You know, we, we have a nice start. There's no doubt about it. But – there's a lot of football still to be played and uh, conference champions aren't uh, named after three weeks. So we, uh, you know, that's where we're aiming for, but this is, I I think it's just a great test for us and uh, we're just anxious for Saturday to get here. My bad. Let's yeah, no kidding. And let's look a little bit, if we can, just at the overall uh, picture of life right now. Bluffton has gotten some exposure from this, there's no doubt. The school, the football team, uh, a lot of people came in last year. We had one side comment, I think, on Facebook. Oh, if you dare to name Bluffton one of the tri-national champions, uh, you have no integrity. And we basically said, We'll do what we want, thanks. And, uh, you know, thanks for uh, the note, of course. Um, but... You know, the point being that uh, Bluffton has not always had this, you know, fan base, this attention, people that, you know, thought they were a team like that, uh, that had any uh, relationship to the national context. Has that changed with the amount of attention you're getting? Do you feel like there's a little bit more of an attention span right now on Bluffton football? And has it helped in recruiting to the degree uh, heading back on the road? Or, well, not on the road, but uh, on the virtual road uh, for recruiting that's going on right now. How has it changed things for you and for the school and the football program? I think it's start winning it helps I mean anything you do right it helps in so many different ways whether on campus or out on the recruiting trail per se but um you know I hope I hope it's helping get our name out there you know I mean we we are very much family driven here on our campus and within our program so we uh, we aim to take care of ourselves and what we need to do and 
you know, make sure we're putting our, our university in the best light moving forward. And I'm happy that we've been able to have some of the success on the field here uh, in this calendar year and fall, spring, I guess you can say, to, to try to boost, you know, who we are at Bluffton. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm hoping long term it is. I mean, we, we, we aim to be a competitor in this conference. And I'm, you know, I'm banking that the, in five or six weeks from now, you know, we will be we will be mentioned amongst the top teams in this conference, and hopefully it's for years to come, not just for this short COVID year. It's no fluke. That's what we're aiming for. <laughs> well, every extra game you can play. Uh, we always used to say about the Mount Unions of the world, they would get five extra weeks of practice every year by being in the playoffs and getting to the Stag Bowl. So it's got to help in some way, shape, or form, we think, uh, to have the extra weeks, the extra reps, the extra games even in this case. So uh, we'll see how it all works out for you and a number of other teams across the country. But, uh, you know, take pride in what you guys have accomplished here in the fall and in the spring. And thanks so much for joining us and for, you know, partaking in kind of our social media banter. I know you're a uh, fan of some of the Twitter activity that we've had over the uh, last year. So we do appreciate you following us along the way. Not a problem. Thanks for everything you guys do to support Division Three football. It's awesome. Can't thank you guys enough. We don't usually talk to freshmen, but, I mean, how can't you right now when there's six INTs in two games right now for this player, Montez Archer Jr., who's a freshman. So, I, I, I as a junior myself, I, I always had trouble with that, uh, Montez. So, uh, I, you know, I, I know the feeling here. we got to make sure everybody realizes you're just a freshman and they have to deal with you for technically four more years you uh, could go because of uh, what the NCAA is allowing here. More on that in a second. How does it feel? You are a, at a school, we were talking to Coach Krebs about it, that really went full bore on playing in the fall. You got one out of the couple games that were scheduled. In the spring, some teams out there, no games at all. I, I mean, you obviously picked the school before you knew all this was going to be happening along the way, but how does it feel to be at that school right now and knowing the commitment toward football Bluffton has? Um, it feels great. Um, I got great teammates, great coaches. Um, everyone believes in me, and I'm just here and ready to help the team and do whatever I have to do. Well, you certainly are helping your team, not only picking off opposing quarterbacks, but you even took a punt return to the house in, in the game last weekend, which was which must have been pretty exciting. I mean, you must have some kind of, like, really great field vision to be able to, to you know, make cuts and run, you know, run, you know, on the field like that, but also to see the ball coming at you. Is it one of these things that, you know, is it a coach from high school or what has given you this great field vision in order to pick off all these passes in the last few weeks? Um, really, it's, it's the preparation. We watch a lot of film. Um, I get credit to Coach Hill. He really prepared me for the big stage. So we, we practice hard. We do ball drills, shock and shed. So I can come up, make tackles. Um, we just work hard in, day in, day out of the week. A lot of people had not heard of Bluffton as a Division Three football school. I, obviously, we knew of it because of our affiliation over the years, but we didn't necessarily know as much as we knew about it uh, or know about it now uh, back when. Uh, you know, what gave you the uh, desire to go to uh, Bluffton, and uh, how do you feel about that choice at this point? Um, really, me and Coach Hill had a tight bond um, from high school. He was recruiting me from my 10th grade year through 12th grade. So 
really Coach Hill got me in. Um, really good bond for sure. My brother, Demarius Givens, was going here, and he got me here too. And Coach Krebs, I really love the family here, all the coaches, teammates, and I, th I think we're going to be pretty good. Well, you talked about getting ready to play on the big stage, and, and as we were just hearing from your coach a few minutes ago, you, know, you guys are going up against uh, you know, two-time defending conference champions in Hanover, probably one of the biggest games this, uh, this weekend for spring D3 football. Uh, tell us a little bit about Hanover. What do they do kind of offensively, and, and what are you going to be looking to do? Uh, maybe get another few more interceptions while you're at it. Um, really, uh, today, Monday, so we starting to prepare. We got um, meetings at 4 o'clock, so really I haven't seen Hanover yet. I heard they were a pretty good team, and I'm just ready for the competition. You know, I'm ready for it. Well, I know you guys got practice coming up pretty soon, so we don't want to keep you much longer, but it's been a real pleasure to chat with you and get to know you, Montez. And so as part of the In the, in the Huddle tradition, uh, we would like to welcome you to take the, take the big stage, as you said earlier, and do any shout-outs to any friends, family, current or former teammates, you know, maybe from you know, high school back there in, in Detroit, where you're from. Uh, floor is yours, Montez Archer, Jr., Go for it. Uh, man, it's a lot of names that I want to shout out right now, but the main ones, I appreciate Coach Brock. He came a long way with me. Um, Coach G, through all my um, Little League coaches through high school, they really believed in me. Um, they said, I need to do this and I need to run with it. This this is what I was called for. So football is, is one thing that I really take serious. So I appreciate everybody. I love my family, my friends. Appreciate all y'all. And, and let's go. Great talking to the freshmen. Great talking to the not-so-freshmen uh, in terms of Coach Krebs. <laughs> uh, JB, I, I know you took some of the ribbing from people as well about you know us giving Bluffton kind of the stage we did in the fall. But you know what? Look, it's, this is unusual. The whole situation, what happened in the fall was unusual. Yeah. It's giving us a chance to highlight teams that might actually, because of this fall and spring play, be getting some new traction, basically, in the national picture, at least the regional picture for them. We'll Ooh. see what happens against Hanover, obviously, but you you got to feel good for Bluffton in the story that's there right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're definitely um, making the most of this opportunity and, and it's helping you know get their name out there uh, on a more national scale and, and could potentially lead to you know, getting some new recruits here and there. It could be, um, you know, helping them, you know, leverage uh, just a higher profile overall. And so, you know, credit to credit coach uh, Krebs and, and company there in Ohio. They're they're doing their thing. They're winning ball games, and you know they're as we've always kind of just said this whole spring, Frank. You just got to find a way and uh, make it happen. And there's a track record now that you know, with the testing, you know, with the you know the, the some of the practice and and you know travel precautions and so on and so forth, it is possible. And to coach's point, it, it's definitely going to help them. Uh, down the road to actually have these reps versus just practice time. 
I need to go find a recycling bin at this point because uh, this is way too much paper. I, uh, I, I killed a tree, yeah. apparently, uh, for this show. So I, I need to go yeah, right. uh, do my penance for this. Week six in the books, week seven coming up. A lot of action, as you saw earlier uh, in the show. And so you're going to want to six games, I think, Frank, if, if they all happen. I mean, I, the ones that I think that we ran off, I mean, I could see maybe the, um, the Greensboro-Averett game get canceled. I think Greensboro had already canceled once before. I don't know if they're done for the spring or not. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, Hartwick St. John Fisher, we did see a thing on, on Twitter where Alfred um, rescheduled their game with Fisher instead of just going to play Utica now. So basically playing them twice. I have a feeling that Fisher's probably out as well. Um, so don't plan on that Monday game, I'm pretty sure. But still, 36 games is the most we've seen so far. It might take us two hours to do crunch time next week, Frank. Oh, we have to whew, <laughs> keep it short. <laughs> Fagiano, make sure you have those Utica Greens ready. I'm, I'm trying to come out there uh, to get some interviews and see you, buddy. So, Matt Beer, too. <laughs> yep, exactly. I'll have my mask on, but I, I'm allowed to remove it to eat those Utica Greens. So we'll, we'll see what we can do with that. Folks, week six in the books, week seven coming up. And as we said, we got some more East Region games coming up. Thanks for the East Region for coming alive here because, yeah, we are not a South show. We understand that, but it's been fun hit, hitting the national landscape just a little bit more than we're used to around this uh, D3 nation, as we call it. Yeah. I'm about to not be able to talk, so let's just end the show. See you next week, folks. <laughs>